Our text this morning is from the Old Testament, and we're going to move to the Old Testament next week as well with Kevin. But our text is Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 12. And I'll read that in just a couple of minutes. Every January, for many years, I was on a new adventure with a diet. Many, many years of doing that. I would usually try to start my diet by changing my lifestyle. A lifestyle of too many fried foods, too many desserts, and too much bread. I got on a cauliflower kick one year. I would eat cauliflower any way you could make it. I even ate cauliflower rice. But folks, it's not the same as your white or brown rice with lots of butter on it. It's just not as good. That new lifestyle, that change of diet, I lost about 25 pounds over weeks and months and kept it off for quite a while. But you know how diets are. Slowly but surely, you begin to gain the weight back. When I came to Columbus three years ago, I decided to change my eating habits during the work week. I used to go out three or four times a week eating out large meals and then would go home and eat another large meal at night. Well, I started bringing lunch and eating more moderately at lunch. And over the last three years, I've lost 30 pounds. I'm very grateful for that. Praise the Lord for it. I'm excited about it. Hope to keep it off. One thing I've noticed when a person diets, when mealtime comes, boy, you're ready to eat. It's time to eat. Second thing I've noticed, and this especially hit me, were cravings during the midst of dieting. It's, for me, it's desserts. Oh, I think about peanut butter Oreos. I think about Snickers. I think about peach milkshakes. I think about blizzards. I think about Butterfinger peanut butter cups. But let's get back on the topic. <laughs> the strong cravings that we have when we're on diets should be a reminder to us as believers that we're to, to have strong cravings for spiritual food. We ought to be hungering for spiritual food. We ought to be hungering for God's word, for God's presence in our life, for God's working in us each and every day. So this morning, I want to read to you Nehemiah 8. We're going to study these verses, 1 through 12, beginning with verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men, of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose and, this, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashem, Habadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatheah, 
Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. We know from Scripture and from history that Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra played key roles in the people, God's people, returning from exile to their homeland. And like you and me, Nehemiah and Ezra had different gifts, talents, and abilities. And they used those, but they had something in common. Nehemiah and Ezra loved the people, and they loved the Word of God, and they led the people to try to obey the covenant of God. In the book of Ezra, chapter 1, we find out some history. Cyrus, who was king of Persia, had decreed that the exiles, God's people, could return to their homeland to build the temple. In verses 2 and 3 of Ezra 1, the Bible says, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. A little background, the Persians had controlled the Israelites, the people, for nearly 200 years. This decree allows the Jewish folks to go back and rebuild the land. It was a decree that was made under God's leadership, of course. A group of Jews slowly began to rebuild the temple, and the work was arduous and, and very tough. Hag, Haggai and Zechariah were prophets during this time, and they encouraged the people to keep building, keep building, finish the task that God's called you to. And the temple was completed in 515 B.C. Ezra returned to Jerusalem for spiritual and moral leadership, which was much needed at this time. Ezra was a tremendous leader. He was a priest. He led in a spiritual way. And he was also a scribe. He taught the people God's word. And he arrived on the scene 13 years before Nehemiah did. Do you remember what Nehemiah's main task would have been when he arrived? He was to rebuild the walls, the walls around Jerusalem. Well, with the physical structure, the temple in place, the walls in place, the spiritual foundation of the people was sorely lacking. And so it was time now for Nehemiah and Ezra to address the moral and the spiritual concerns of all the nation, of all the people. Remember the situation. They had been in exile in a different country, different customs, different styles, and they finally arrived home after years 
of being away, years of exile. I submit to you today that God's people were spiritually hungry. And I want to talk to you about three things I think they were hungry for on this occasion. Number one, we see the people were hungry to hear the Word of God. The people were hungry to hear the Word of God. Verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. There's a little bit more about the setting the last verse of chapter 7, uh, verse 73 says, And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. In the Jewish calendar, the seventh month had a lot of significance, great significance. The first day of the seventh month was the Feast of Trumpets. The tenth day of the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. And then the, the 20th, I'm sorry, the 15th day, was when the Feast of Tabernacles would begin in the Jewish community. I, in studying this, an interesting fact to me was that every seven years, the law was to be read to the people. Men, women, and children. I just threw that in for free, but I thought that was interesting as we look at the significance of the Jewish calendar. As we, in our text, who gathered in verse 1? The Bible tells us all the people gathered. The word people is used 13 times in our text, the phrase all the people, interesting to me, is used nine out of those 13 times in the text, indicating that this is a reference to most of the residents of Jerusalem. They had gathered, the Bible tells us, near water, the water gate, which led to Gihon Springs. Gihon Springs was the main water source for the Jerusalem. What else do we see in verse 1? The people wanted Ezra to bring them the law of Moses, the book of the law of Moses. They were hungry, weren't they? They wanted Ezra to bring them the book of the law of Moses. We know Ezra was a scribe, and we've mentioned that earlier. Scribes were experts in God's written word. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if somebody would describe us that way? That Bill, he's an expert in God's word. That Betty... She's an expert in God's Word. The scribes would copy the Word of God, word for word. They would preserve the Word of God in teaching it. And Ezra did both of these things. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. As Ezra would be reading God's Word, he could guide the people in God's Word. And people shared this, had a desire to hear the Word of God. Can you imagine the crowd that had gathered on this day? As I've pictured this in my mind, a mass of people. His audience, the Bible tells us, consisted of men and women who could understand what they heard. One translation says, who could listen with understanding. Young people, children were in the audience. In verse 3, the Bible tells us, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Did you catch this in reading this text? Ezra read the scriptures from early in the day until midday. And even more remarkable to me, 
the Bible says the people were attentive to the book of the law. Listening to someone read the scripture is not really a normal experience for most of us. We may hear the pastor read the scripture on Sunday morning, and we may hear our leader, our, our Sunday school teacher, small group leader, read a passage of scripture, but we don't normally hear the word of God being read very often. In our text, the people listened for at least six hours. I think that's incredible. Let's put that in context of today and, and some of the things we do. If we go to a football game, I've measured this out, folks. If you go, even in, uh, living in Columbus, and we go to Starkville, it takes six hours to go to a ball game. You have, the, you have to get ready. You have to find your cowbell. You have to drive. You have to have pregame activities. You have the game itself. You have postgame, and then you return home. Its average is six hours. They listen to the Word of God for six hours. Have you spent six hours in your yard recently or a combination of a couple of days, six hours working in your yard? I know I have. How about six hours at the lake? Have you spent six hours at the lake recently? Six hours at an amusement park. Six Flags, for example. But six hours listening to someone read the Scripture, that's phenomenal to me. That's real hunger for the Word of God. Again, let's look at the last part of verse 3. The people were attentive to the book of the law. Have you ever noticed how restless people get when the word of God is preached or taught? I have had great privilege in ministry. The Lord has blessed me so much. I've been able to go to children's camps through the years, student youth camps, and I have gotten far more from those camps than I ever contributed to them. I can assure you that. But I have made an observation. You can be rocking and rolling through a worship service at camp. Music going great, audience participation, skits, all of those things. But when the camp pastor gets up to speak, there's usually some restlessness in the crowd, particularly toward the invitation time. A cell phone or will ring or buzz. Uh, any number of other things, the restroom typically tends to call. Distractions rule supreme in those settings. I've had the privilege now for almost the length of time I've been at First Baptist to be a part of Watchman's Prayer Hour. This doesn't happen every time, but I know distractions have taken place while I'm trying to pray. A dog interruption, something falling off the wall, a knock on the door, a text or a phone call. It's happened. All of those things have happened during that Watchman's Prayer Hour. The Israelites were hungry, but they were not restless. They were not just going through the motions. They were not just going through another worship service. They were hungry to hear the Word of God, and they eagerly digested what was being said that day. Verse 4a, and Ezra stood, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that, that they made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Our text tells us very clearly, clearly that Ezra stood on some type of platform, wooden or raised platform, much probably like a tower. And this platform accommodated 13 other people. And I won't read those names again. 
but they were probably teaching priests during this time. This platform couldn't have been small. It had to be a large platform. What does that suggest to you? Preparation had to be made for this day. Verse 5 tells us that he stood above all the people. Why would he be standing above all the people? Well, so they could see him and so they could also hear him. Hasten, that's natural amplification. They heard him that day. The, the Lord had something to do with that too. Well, what did the people do? They stood up, the Bible says. What did Ezra do? Ezra blessed the Lord. He praised the Lord. The people also responded and lifted up their hands. The people cried out, amen, amen. They worshiped with their faces to the ground. It's interesting if you see the picture. I could picture this as I was going through the narrative. What does a worshiper's posture demonstrate as you look at them in, in your minds, as you see them on the ground with their heads in their hands? I think it suggests humility. I think it tells us they were submitting to God. I think it tells us they were dependent on God. They had devotion to the Lord. They had respect for the Lord. But I don't think their posture was as important as their attitude. I think we see an attitude of reverence from, from the folks. I think we see an attitude of worship. Well, as we come into the place every, this place every week to worship, God knows our heart already. He knows what we're thinking. He knows the preparations we've made. And he knows that every part of it. It's an interesting part of worship. We don't have to wait till Sunday to worship the Lord. We don't have to wait until there's a large gathering of people to worship the Lord. I moved my son this last Monday and Tuesday to Gallatin, Tennessee, just northeast of Nashville. And the last load that he was taking up from Columbus to Gallatin, he went by himself. He says, Dad, I'm kind of dreading the trip. He said, I'm going to be all by myself. I said, son, why don't you think about your new apartment? What you going to do with your new apartment? Why don't you think about your new job? What you're going to be doing there? How you're going to be the best you can be? And I said, son, also the Lord's given you an opportunity to talk to him on the way. You're going to be right by yourself. Be a great opportunity to talk to him as you're traveling back to Tennessee. You and I can worship the Lord every day that we live. It doesn't have to be just on Sunday. And we need to be worshiping him every day. A quiet time with the Lord, whether it's in the morning or at night or the middle of the day, is a great way to be alone with the Lord and establish that habit that we need each and every day with him. Do you have a daily desire to worship the Lord? In our text, the people were hungry to hear God's word. Secondly, the people were hungry to understand God's word. Not only hearing it, but they were hungry to understand God's word. Several years ago, a student minister came into my office. Name was Brian. And Brian asked me, handed me a Bible, and he asked me, have you ever thought about this approach to discipleship? I looked at the Bible. It, it was the 90-day Bible. In other words, you're to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 90 days. In a quarter of a year, you're to read the Bible. I looked at the Bible. I looked back at Brian. I said, are you serious? This appears to be such a gimmick. He said, well, that's okay. I mean, just, just look at it and pray about it and see what you think. And he said, I just think this will lead to people's better understanding 
of what the Word of God says. So I did. I prayed. I looked at the Bible. I prayed about it. And I thought, well, even if this is a gimmick, if somebody reads the Word of God, if they read it in its entirety, it'd be worth it all. We had classes that fall, and we couldn't fit the people in the classes. We had over 40 in two classes that enrolled in reading the Bible in 90 days. Over the next several discipleship classes, we had over 150 that we documented that had read through the Bible, either in 90 days or less or a few more than 90 days. It really doesn't matter as long as you're reading the Word and reading it consistently. But I learned something. I asked several of the people who had finished the Bible in 90 days, and I learned some facts about reading through the Word of God. I want to, if you don't mind, I want to share with you just four or five facts of what that does for us as believers. Number one, when a person reads through the Bible at any length of time, especially a shorter period of time, you see the Old and New Testament come together. You see a complete picture of God's plan come together very quickly as you read through the Old and New Testament. Once a person has read through the Bible, secondly, that person wants to read it again. There's a desire to read it again, maybe in a different translation. A third fact that I found out, accountability is a big key. Whether it's a spouse, a best friend, whether it's a group of people, but accountability, are you reading the Word? Are you doing this? You need to be doing it every day. Mike, you need to be doing it. Another fact, whether a believer has, been, has known the Lord for two months, two years, 20 years, or 60 years, it's always beneficial to read through the, the Bible. And then the last fact it's when a person reads through the Bible, I've not found one that has ever regretted it. They are always grateful they read the Word of God. The Israelites in our text today were hungry to understand the Word of God. Verse 7b, all the people listed and the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. <clears throat> I can remember being a very slow reader in early elementary school. I was the youngest in my class. I have a December birthday. And in those days, you could stay with your group. You could stay in that year. So I was the very youngest in my class. So there was probably some immaturity and probably a lack of desire to read very fast. The teacher recommended I take a speed reading class. And so my parents did everything the teacher said, and they enrolled me in a speed reading class. And I think that it helped me ultimately. Long story short, I think it helped me. But you know, through the years of school and through the years of trying to read the Word, I, I've realized that speed is not the key, but understanding and comprehension of the Word of God is the key. Being able to understand what you read is a significant key as a part of this. Verse 7 tells us that 13 Levites stood among the people. What did the Levites normally do? They would assist the priest, wouldn't they, in worship? assist the people. In this text, the Levites contributed to the people's understanding of God's Word. Verse 7 also tells us something that I thought was phenomenal. They remained in their places. That means for this period of time, six hours or better, they stood the entire time, demonstrated that commitment to hear the Word of God and to understand everything that was being said. Verse 8 they, the Levites, read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
Remember now, the crowd would have had limited understanding of the scriptures during this day. There had been a long period of neglect. The Jewish people had been forced to learn other languages other than Hebrew. The Levites and other men were there to try to translate, interpret. And it said, the Bible says clearly, so that understanding of God's word could be made. As I was studying this, I thought, boy, that's what we need every, every week when we meet. We need to, and, and we have that with our pastor. But we need to have understanding of the word of God. Teaching and, and of the word where this understanding can take place. Application can be made in one's life. Less opinion, more teaching of the word, more expanding on God's word. I think another reason people were thrilled to hear the word of God during this time, they didn't have four or five copies of God's word laying around the house. Remember, during that day, there were scrolls, and the scripture was on scrolls with no access except for worship times. So they were hungry to understand the word of God. We learned in verse 3 that the people were attentive, and then we learned in verse 7 that they remained in their places. I think this is a beautiful picture of this hunger we're talking about, of this desire to hear God's word. When we develop that hunger, nothing else really matters in the scheme of things spiritually. God should be our priority. One scholar says revival usually is not far behind when people begin to express a deep hunger for God's word. Revival is usually not far behind. Okay, the people were hungry. They were hungry to hear God's word. They were hungry to understand God's word. And lastly, thirdly, the people were hungry to respond to God's word. They were hungry to respond to God's word. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The people's response was natural, wasn't it? Weeping. People can become overwhelmed. I have before, and I'm sure you have as well. People can become overwhelmed by the Scripture's impact on their lives. The Bible tells us, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As the law was being read, the, the hearts of the people were literally being pierced through and through. But that's what God's Word does. When we read it, it encourages us. It challenges us. It convicts us. His Word confronts us to respond to Him. Verse 8 tells, tells us that the people were told and urged not to weep or mourn. Nothing can come, nothing positive can come from just totally dwelling on the past all the time and worrying about the past. We take away our power from the Lord in obedience when we just constantly are worrying about what happened before. And that's what he's telling the people. Don't worry about the past. Dwell on what the Lord is telling you today. What should be the response of the people here? What should be our response? There should be a great time of joy, a great time of celebrating what God had done for them. Verses 10 and 11. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. 
And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. What did the leaders instruct the people to do here? Very interesting. The leaders wanted the people to go back to their homes, to celebrate in their neighborhoods, and to enjoy a fellowship meal. Now, we know how to do that. That's a great thing. Something stood out to me in verse 10. I thought it was so interesting. It just it gave me chill bumps when I read it the first time. The phrase, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. The leaders instructed the people to be aware of the needs of those around them. The poor, those that had nothing prepared, you need to provide for them. We're God's people to be a sharing and loving community. We're to share with others. It reminds me greatly of the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget about your neighbor. And he's telling them, don't forget about your neighbor. And then I remember as a student singing the song, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, and going around in the chorus. This is a significant phrase here. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah is emphasizing here their greatest strength is the Lord. Our greatest strength is the Lord. And he tells them to be thankful, to be glad, to rejoice in God's mercy, to rejoice in God's goodness, to rejoice in God's love. And then verse 11 echoes what we said about the Levites a while ago. The Levites joined Nehemiah and Ezra as they instructed the people. And then our last verse of the text, the response of the people in verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Again, all the people, all the people were eager to respond to the word of God. You know, you and I respond to the word of God also. We can either respond in obedience or we can respond in disobedience to his word. When we hear God's word, when we understand God's word, what is God's expectation? That we respond to his word and that we respond to his word in obedience. That's his expectation. In our text, the people responded to the Lord in obedience. One writer said, they submitted to the leaders under the Lord's guidance and direction. Verse 12 tells us that the people celebrated they celebrated in gratitude for the provision of God's word. They had a new appreciation of scripture. They had a deeper understanding of scripture. And this large gathering of Israelites dispersed into a celebration of God's forgiveness. They were celebrating God's goodness in their lives, and they were celebrating God's blessings. Isn't that worship? They worshiped him. Well, what about you? What about me today? How will you respond to God's word today? A person will not hunger for God's word without a relationship with the Lord. A person will not be obedient to God's word without a relationship with the Lord. May I be personal? Do you have a personal relationship today with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? The Bible tells us that God shows, he demonstrates his great love toward us. And that while we were yet still sinners, Jesus Christ died for you 
and he died for me. The Bible also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, that the world through Jesus might be saved. So the invitation for you today is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And believer, if you already know him as Lord and Savior, the invitation for you is to be obedient to what you read, hear, and study in God's Word.